is uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there in cyberspace. The late 80s and early 90s were a golden age of free stuff on the internet. If you could afford the equipment and the access, you could find just about any piece of software you wanted, and also lots of pictures of naked people. The bulletin board system, or BBS, was the lifeblood of this freewheeling time, and it didn't last long. I'm Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Now this week we are bringing you the story of Rusty and Edie's BBS, friendliest BBS in the world. And here to tell the tale is Motherboard staff writer Samantha Cole. It's the subject of her newest piece on the site, The Death of Rusty and Edie's, one of the horniest places on the 90s internet. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let me, let me bring our music Love Loving this music. Yeah, it's yeah. nice, right? It's nice to be able to just it. throw it on at the push of a button. Um, <laughs> all right, I like to get really basic stuff out of the way first. Can you explain... Uh, to the people at home who may not know, who aren't old like I am, what a BBS is or was. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Baltimore systems were basically like the way people talked to each other on the internet before we had Twitter and Facebook and the nightmare that we have today. Um, it was before like the World Wide Web. Um, so it was all text-based. Um the first one started in like 1978. It replaced like physical, actual cork boards, like index cards, punched into like bulletin boards, literal bulletin boards that you'd find in like public spaces. Um, so you would dial into a BBS uh, using software that was running on your computer, your house, or your office. Um, and it would run through a modem and your telephone line and dial into a server, which was usually running in somebody else's house um and then people would like leave messages and post um you know news and gossip and about whatever was going on that day and then also would share files which um was like a big use of it was people sharing um programs and different kinds of files so what was the culture like that kind of developed around this stuff who was and who was using these bbs services at first and who was running the stuff yeah, I mean, the culture around it at first was very techie because that's who could access it. Um, so the people who were using it were people who, like, had computers supplied to them by their offices or who were, like, already working um, in, like, tech companies or um, could afford, like, these multi-thousand-dollar um, systems, which is, you know, how much a computer to bring home cost. Plus, you'd have to buy, like, the modem and then hook yourself up to an internet service provider and all that good shit. Um, so yeah, it's, it was mostly people who were like really into the DIY kind of scene. They wanted to figure things out for themselves. Um, and people used it, you know, like I said, like they use it just to like talk to other people locally a lot because the dial on your phone, long distance cost, you know, a lot of money and it was by the minute. So there's a lot of local communities talking to each other. All right, so who then are Rusty and Edie? I guess Rusty is kind of the driving force behind the BBS that he that they end up creating, right? Yeah, Rusty was kind of the one that was really into it um, by all accounts that I could find. Um, so it was Russell and Edwina Hardenberg. Um, they were this, you know, like 
couple in their 40s and 50s who were tinkering around with this internet thing (laughs) in the 80s. Um, most of what I could find firsthand accounts from them was just this, uh, archived post that Rusty is credited as writing, um, or he's explaining how all this came about, but, you know, I wasn't able to get hold of them personally. They're in their seventies and eighties now, and they're kind of hard to reach. Um, if anyone out there knows them or knows how to get in touch with them, I would love to talk to them. But, um, what we know as far as what he apparently put out there was he bought a computer to help with his insurance business. He said it would like speed it up. Um, it was a Tandy 1200. Uh, and he says it costs, I think it was like three or $4,000 to bring home. Um, but he was super excited about connecting to BBSs and being able to like download shareware, um, which is software that people would upload and then make available to other people for free. Um, usually legally, Usually it was like, you know, someone would make a piece of software and then share it. Um, but sometimes uh, not so legally, which is what got them in trouble down the line. Yeah, it's kind of funny. We don't really see as much of this now. I guess you do on like websites, right? Websites that have kind of developed personal apps. But there was a mm-hmm. pretty big, back in the 80s and 90s, there was a large community of shareware. Right, people would just make free thing, free software applications, sometimes for fun. Just kind of put them online, and they proliferate, and it created this ecosystem. And I remember this from when I was a kid, where if it was online, you kind of assumed you didn't have to pay for it. Right, you were paying so much already to even get to the point where you could see the software. Why would you ever pay someone a license for something? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was kind of the culture of the time. It was like. Who knows what's what's legal and what's not? I mean, that was I think people knew, but it was like it was such a wild west of stuff and sharing, and no one really was cut and dry on what was happening. And that's how you ended up with like um, like the FBI seal, like you wouldn't steal a car before VHS tapes, like <laughs> um, that kind of push against privacy is coming out of that era. All right, uh, so. Russell decides that he wants to make his own BBS because he starts getting involved in stuff online and he uh, kind of hates how it's set up. Can you explain like what it was like to try to get into some of these BBS services? They sound almost like private clubs with really esoteric and strange membership requirements. That's a good way to describe it, actually. Yeah, um, a lot of them started that way. Uh, A lot of them kind of grew out of that and became much bigger, but... um, like the the accounts that we have of um rusty talking about why he got into it um he basically was like this is i have to jump through too many hoops so fuck it i'm gonna like start my own um but the hoops that he had to jump through were basically um other other systems administrators and operators would usually ask people to like identify themselves or to call them personally like pick up the phone and call them and say hey i want to connect to your bbs um or they would make them answer a bunch of like weird questions and like fill out a questionnaire to like basically make them prove that they really wanted to get in. Um, even if the questions didn't have anything to do with what they were there to do. Um, so yeah, it was, some of them were like age gated in like this really old kind of archaic way. So they would call, they would pick up the phone and say, Hey, I'm 18. I can access this adults only server. And then the Sazaf would be like, you don't sound 18. So no, 
<laughs> it was this really weird kind of like slapdash thing that was going on. Um, some of them charge a fee, so that's how you kind of set up like, okay, you need to mail me a check and then I can give you login information. So Rusty was like, I hate all of this. This is too complicated. Like, just let people access my BBS. It'll have no rules. Um, this is all too annoying and hard, so I'm going to make my own and it'll be um, very open and people won't have to do all this extra stuff, which bit him in the ass in the end, <laughs> in a I, big way. I have to ask about, I, I, I need to know if this is, was a rhetorical flourish, flourish of yours or if it's something you actually saw. Um, you're right. He didn't understand what questionnaires asking about the name of his cat or his grandparents' political affiliation. Is that like literally stuff he was having to do? Like you'd have to tell people his cat's name? says that that's in that post that i found that was like it's attributed to him and it's all it's all over these like history sites about bbs's like that that is what he claims people were asking like those are the kinds of things i don't i haven't seen that in any like other documentation but i do know that like questionnaires were a thing and like having to fill out like your contact information and like where you lived and that you were a real person was a thing so i believe it this is like a like an I am not a robot type thing, but it's like I am a human that is not a psycho. I, <laughs> not that your cat's name would prove anything. Well, I just but. I love the idea of uh, living in a world where the way you age gate check is you make someone call you. Yeah, like there were that few oh, users wow. back then, right? That you could mm-hmm. get, like you could just do that. And also, like, I guess every user on a BBS was a stress on the system, right? It was costing whoever was running it a little bit more money. So there's incentives to kind of narrow it down. It's funny, the way Rusty makes it sound, it makes it sound like people were begrudgingly running these systems. Like, they got involved in it and weren't having fun anymore, but had to keep them up for whatever reason. Yeah, Um, that happened to a lot of people. People would get into it because they liked the technology and thought it was fun. And it was fun until they had, you know, like tens of thousands of callers who were emailing them hate mail, <laughs> being like, why can't I get into your server? Until you, until you have to worry about moderation and yeah. keeping the customers happy. Jeez, it's, uh, you know. we All have, fun and games until you have to be a mod. Yeah, we won't see that repeated uh, ad nauseum forever for the next 40 years, yeah. will we? Um, <laughs> so what, what was the motto of their BBS? Um, they wanted to be the friendliest BBS in the world. And also their second motto was no rules. <laughs> in, it's so, where where were they based again physically? Uh, Boardman, Ohio. It's so funny because you hear these things that I, you think of like shit posters putting up now, right? Mm-hmm. Like some of the worst people on the internet. And then you look at the picture of them and they're this kindly old couple. They look like they could be yeah. farmers. <laughs> and they've got pictures of their cat warming itself on their servers. Yeah, baby the cat. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Who loved, this, loved the lay on the servers. Yeah, it's it just wild that I, I kind, of, kind of haven't seen that juxtaposition of internet culture with, with that kind of person before. I think it's interesting. Yeah. That's who was running stuff in the early days. It was that and like literal teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Emily points out, as I said to Sam yesterday, we cannot judge what people look like in terms of freakiness, freakiness, yeah. which is absolutely correct. Um, judge a freak by their picture. Because the friendliest place, uh, the friendliest BBS out there was uh, pretty freaky, 
right? There was a lot of pornography on it. That's so the kind of after effect, obviously, of being the friendliest yes in the world and like letting people come in and have no rules. Um, something people could do on BBS is upload files. So, of course, people would come in there and upload like tons of porn, um, which happened on like I would say most BBSs that didn't have like some kind of explicit ban rule against it. Um, but yeah, so it was just it was full of porn, um, and that's kind of the reputation that it gained because you know, even now we'll see people saying. Oh, I remember Rusty because the porn that I saw in the 90s was, like, tagged and watermarked with their name. Um, so what went on there got around, for sure, and it was it was a lot of nudes. What did – was like, were people just uploading, like, uh, scans of Playboy, or, like, what, what did the porn look like in the early internet? I also saw, yeah. like – there were animated GIFs? Um, so when people say GIFs at that time, they're talking about still GIF usually. Okay. Um, so just the file file type was just GIFs, but they weren't like animating. Usually, I don't think that would be a huge file at the time. Um, it's, yeah, so you wouldn't just, you couldn't just like in like the late 80s um, when they were really getting popular, you couldn't just like, open a browser and type in boobs or whatever. Like you, there were no, there wasn't a browser. <laughs> um, the World Wide web wasn't a thing yet, or at least not for like majority of people. So everything was text-based. Um, so you'd have um, binary files that people could see like the file name and the description of what was inside, but you wouldn't be able to really see what you were downloading until you downloaded the file. So like people would joke name things and then you would thinking it was like it, it would be like tied up bitch or something sorry I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on here but and then you would download the file thinking it was like BDSM or something and it was like a dog <laughs> um, so a lot of that going around but a lot of porn files lived on these UBSs and people were just kind of uploading and downloading based on what they could read um, and that got a lot of people in trouble because a lot of it was you know inaccurate and saying things that weren't really on there but most of it was, you know, explicitly posting porn. And that's why people kept paying for these subscriptions for these things. They weren't just there for, like, the news. They were there to trade, you know, scanned in Playboys, which is exactly what you said. That's, that's a big part of what was on there was things that people would copy from magazines. Uh, Chatter Prawn Lord points out, points out that – Prawns out, good Lord – points out <laughs> that a lot of this early stuff was assy art, too. Right. Yeah, a ton of that. Yeah. So ASCII, ASCII or ASCII? I don't know. I've ASCII always said ASCII. ASCII. I don't. You know, I've never typed it. I've always <laughs> typed it and never said it, so I don't really know. Yeah. So that. So whatever. However you say that. Um, ASCII art was um, text based, also. So you would have um, people assembling characters to look like boobs or whatever. Like they would. It was. It's an incredible art like style. I think it's really cool. But you would use the limited numbers you have available to you, characters on your keyboard, um, to create like this mosaic line by line. And a lot of it was so porn. The internet's always been for porn. So yeah, of course. <laughs> um, you the other another thing that strikes me is why was did they watermark everything that went through? Like how does that happen? 
I'm not really clear on that either. I mean, so the point of that would be to get more advertising for your BBS. Um, and because they did grow enough that they eventually were selling subscriptions for $89 a year, which is a lot for 19, you know, 89, 90, 91. Um, they, they would want more people to see what was going on in their BBS and then come there and pay for a subscription. So that's the only reason I can think of why people would be doing that. Um, whether or not they, they obviously did it because people said that they, people remember. Um, oh, did I turn off my, so see me. I think we, I turned off no, my camera. We, we lost you. We lost your camera there briefly. Oh, weird. Still oh. on. Uh, it's, coming, it's coming back now. I hit my space bar. Off. Strange. I think that's a Discord thing, actually. Oh, Discord. Um, yeah, so that's the only reason I can think of where people would watermark porn that isn't theirs, because at that point you're just saying, like, like I, I obviously didn't take this this picture of this extremely famous Playboy bunny. <laughs> so <laughs> but I'm going to put my name on it. So, so. are Rusty and Edie turning a profit then? I can't say whether they were turning a profit because the operation had to be expensive. Um, if you look on the site, um, I think there's a picture. I think the lead picture is in the background is all of their setup, like their servers and the computers and all of that. It was so hot in there that they had to like buy like a four ton conditioner and like a humidifier. And like they were burning a lot of electricity, just keeping this thing going. So the electric bill alone I don't know like maybe they were breaking even <laughs> whether or not they were like getting rich off it i really kind of doubt but i could be wrong um i think they just did it because they got way in over their heads so um, yeah. yeah i mean they just kind of you just start people there's more demand so you just kind of start chasing your tail he enjoys what he's doing and it just kind of snowballs right mm-hmm. um exactly so at the same time that the BBS is growing, they're becoming more popular, there's kind of this other force that's starting to rise where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the government is starting to figure out that people are doing things online that they don't like, basically. Can we talk about, like, what what kind of is the background on that side of things and, like, what are the conditions that give rise to Rusty and Edie going down? Yeah, so simultaneously with them getting big, um, and a lot of others were getting big, they weren't the biggest. There was probably five or six others that were really big. Um, when I say big, I mean like in the tens of thousands of callers. Um, so when they were getting really popular, software makers were starting to get really kind of pissy about their work being spread online as shareware, which obviously <laughs> they were catching on. Um, you know, people like Microsoft and Adobe and these companies that they did not like seeing their, their work spread online. So you had the Software Publishers Association, which is now, I think, called the Software and Information Industry Association, um, was this really powerful trade organization that was lobbying for new laws around piracy and copyright. Um, and all this stuff was coming up for the first time because the Internet was pretty new. Um, so they successfully lobbied Congress into making software piracy a felony, um, in October, 1992. Um, so it's just a couple months before these went down. Um, so at that point, making 10 or more copies 
of a piece of software within six months would be punishable by five years in prison uh, and a $250,000 fine. And then it kind of goes up from there, second offenses. Um, so yeah, there was this huge push for like the FBI to get involved and for um, this to become um, really serious crime. Crazy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what is uh, the, the story of the specific piece of software that kind of brings them down? I thought was really mm-hmm. funny and bizarre. Uh, can, you, yeah. can you talk about that? Yeah, so um, this is based on a report I found in an old issue of Boardwatch magazine, um, which is an incredible magazine devoted to bulletin boards. <laughs> but uh, that report attributes to, they talked to a guy who said that he had made this home design software, this CAD software, um, and was like trying to make his like living off of the royalties from it. Selling for like fourteen dollars or something, and then he was getting royalties. Um, but then he found it downloading people downloading it for free on this BBS called Exec PC. Um, so he contacted that sysop and said, "Hey, can you check this down?" And that guy was like, "Yeah, but you know, there's a file in here that says it came from Rusty and Eddie's BBS." Because again, they were for some reason that damn watermark name on the <laughs> putting their name on everything. Um, and so he, the software guy was like, okay, fine. And so he went and contacted Rusty and he says that Rusty was like, no, fuck off. I'll get to it when I get to it. Um, this is not important to me. I have so much else to do. (laughs) So that guy, the software guy was like, fine. And he called the FBI, which is a wild reaction, I think, but to go straight to the feds and to be like, (laughs) the nineties was a different time, right? And, and this was, you think about like, this was the wild west of this stuff. Yeah. Like we were saying, like, who, like, who do you go to, to adjudicate this kind of thing? I guess the FBI, right? Like who else do you yep. call? Um, the FBI, 911 FBI. I don't know. I love that. I, I hate that. But like, what if you could just be like, I saw it tweeted in like, right. I'm well, calling one day, <laughs> one day. Um, I, I like that you, you, you describe the, the gentleman's life story as uh, pastoral too. He was literally yeah. like building, building a home out in the, out yeah. on the farm somewhere. He was literally farming. He was like trying to retire into like this life of farming. He like made his software, his home design software. And he was like, okay, I'm going to live off that forever. This is my nest egg. Not anymore. Not with, not with Rusty and Edie around. Not if Rusty has anything to do with it. Okay, so what, well, they they raid the the friendliest BBS, right? Like <laughs> the, 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 there's what does this look like? Um, I mean, the things that I've read said that they went in there and took everything out. Like it was just they went in and took out all of their servers and all their machines. Um, 
So yeah, I actually emailed the FBI and I was like, hey, can you tell me anything about this case that happened, you know, 29 years ago? And they replied and said, we can confirm nor deny the existence of any investigation. And I was like, it's been almost 30 years, but, and there's like a ton of like actual news stories about this happening, but okay. (laughs) So the FBI doesn't want to talk about it, but, um, yeah, so they, they showed up and they took everything out. Um, and then kind of the fallout to that was all of these trade magazines like um, PC Magazine and Computer World and um, Board Punch uh, were freaking out. And then people were posting on like Usenet, which is another text-based um, communication system that was happening at the time. People were passing along the news there and saying, what's this mean for the rest of us? You know, if one of the biggest can go down, um, the rest of us kind of fucked. So, yeah. And I, I just want to throw this little bit of history in there because I saw in the copy of Boardwatch magazine, we also have Steve Jackson versus the Secret Service. BBS operator fights back with $2 million lawsuit. Do you know that story by chance? Have you ever heard I of it? I don't. This? I need to read that. I should read that whole issue of Boardwatch, so, actually. So I, I, <laughs> it kind of dovetails into what we're talking about here. Uh, so Steve Jackson was a Steve Jackson Games was a games company out of Austin. Um, that was, they had, they did a lot of stuff that was like playing around with the Illuminati and like conspiracy theories, and like kind of games based around that. Um, I grew up, I pl- I played a lot of that stuff growing up. Um, and they also invented a thing called GURPS, which is like a generic universal role-playing system, which is like an easy to use role-playing system that people could slot in whatever they wanted to. Uh, they were working on a cyberpunk GURPS. And for some, and the guy that had writ, written it was running his own BBS uh, and had written this cyberpunk book for them, and uh, was running a BBS that they would they would like trade frack magazine and talk about cybercrime, but they weren't involved in it. So he was doing research for this cyberpunk book that he's going to put out. Well, one day, in, I believe nineteen ninety one, the Secret Service raids Steve Jackson Games literally like bust down the door. There's reports that they were, the agents were eating like jelly beans off of people's desks. Um, and they seize the, the finalized copy of the cyber of the GURPS cyberpunk book and say that it is a, uh, cyber crime manual, uh, what? and then take and take them to court. And then Steve Jackson pushes back and the like kind of people that coalesce around him, uh, become the electron, uh, the EFF. Like that was the first EFF case was oh. them fighting back on behalf of this games company. Um, oh, I do know this story. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was just really funny to see like Rusty and Edie's BBS thing happening, getting seized by the FBI right after <laughs> Steve Jackson yeah. and the secret service thing. Like it's interesting to watch like all of this, <laughs> the the kind of the the legislative work starting to happen, like these fights beginning to happen in the early nineties, right? Yeah, that's so funny. I've seen like the Steve Jackson games thing come up in like literature, like history of VFF, but I never like really dug into what happened there. That's it's incredible. Really, it was really bizarre because it was just like a, a silly little games company in Austin, and then one day, like right. I hear, uh, or a uh, Secret Service agents kicked down your door, right? Yeah. Can't even send That's, the can't even send the FBI. I yeah, and yeah, the fact that they would go after these small operations, I don't know. Like, I mean, this is still happening. Yeah, right. But, like, it's 
it's just a, a long legacy of bullshit. But yeah, to make an example of like these kind of like passion projects is wild. So what happened? Well, and it's it's funny you you kind of bring up in your piece how something like this couldn't quite happen today. Right, because there's there's laws that protect the people running the site, right? Can you kind of get into that? Yeah, I mean, there's so a couple years later, um, the Communications Decency Act came along, and then Section 230, which shields platforms from liability for what users do on them. So uh, it would be a lot harder to kind of have like a takedown like this today, because like you know, it would be like taking down Facebook because people were posting copyrighted stuff. Um, it would just be, it would not be done. Um, so yeah, it would be, it would be a different situation today. Um, nowadays you would go after, I think, individuals. Um, the federal punishment for privacy, piracy, I think is still the same. I think it's still five years and 250,000. Um, but yeah, it's definitely different times um, they were in at the time. And that's why it made it also very weird. Um, you know, mods were making these really strange decisions about like trying to figure out what was and wasn't copyrighted. There was kind of like, if it looks too nice, if it looks too slick, it's probably copyrighted. Um, if it's like if the model is like too hot, <laughs> basically is what one uh, operator said. He was like, if the if this model looks too put together, it's probably not like an amateur using RBS. It's probably someone uploading Playboy or Hustler or whatever. Um, I'll just kind of like fly by hunches. Um, yeah, I, I really, know, all this was like way that stuff. I really wish I could find the quote in here. But I thought that was a really funny quote where the guy was like, "Yeah, if it's a professional model and everything looks too clean, I just make I just don't accept yeah. it anymore because <laughs> I don't want the trouble." Yeah. Oh, I, I I'm going to bring it up right now. He said, "If the photo showed beautiful women that were so absolutely gorgeous." The photography was beautiful and there were no blemishes on their skin and the lighting was perfect. We took it off, took, off, took the file off for BBS because it was probably not something that someone owned. Um, and that's a quote from this book, which is an old book, Obscene Prophets, that everyone should read. My plug for a book from the 90s. <laughs> Uh, another um, can I also ask you about this this case in Memphis, Tennessee, where did the, am I reading this correctly, and I've got it pulled up here where they got people on child pornography charges after the feds had uploaded the child pornography to the website? Yeah, so that is actually a really important landmark case that um I could have written and have written many, many more words on um but so Robert and Carlene Thomas ran Amateur Action BBS, um, and that was probably maybe the biggest, um, if not one of the biggest BBSs at the time, because um, it was specifically devoted to porn. Um, so they, someone like claimed that they had child porn on there and uh, tipped off the feds again. And then um, the, the assistant U.S. attorney in Tennessee um, kind of looked into it and a postal inspector downloaded a bunch of stuff from the BBS, you know, logged on as someone else, uh, ordered a bunch of tapes through the mail, um, basically did as much as he could to like make it some crimes. <laughs> um, and then he uploaded child porn to that BBS. Um, so he planted, planted it. Um, he didn't find anybody planted some. 
And then they were indicted um, in Tennessee because Tennessee had stricter obscenity laws than California, which is where they were running. So it was all kind of this, this huge scheme to take down this huge porn BBS, but they um, were indicted in Tennessee on 12 counts of um, obscenity, violation of obscenity laws. And then child porn count was dropped because what a like farce. Right. Um, but they still served, you know, I think it was like a couple of years in, in the pen, which is crazy. Like it's such a crazy story. Um, well, it's, it's funny to you. You mentioned um, ordered some videotapes to the mail again. We just don't, we just don't have any memory of that used to be extremely illegal. Right. Yeah. As, yeah, as, yeah. Like transporting, transporting obscene materials over like state lines. was was a federal offense, you know, and through the mail. Yeah. Using the mail to distribute uh, pornography was a federal offense in the nineties. Yeah. And then they were trying to figure out how to like make it a crime on the internet too, because it's like, okay, we're going across state lines naturally because of the internet. Um, So how can we make this as worse, worst crime we possibly can by taking this California based server and accessing it from Tennessee as worse strict laws. Um, uh, J. So. asks, that was the Larry Flint case, right? I think his was more related to actual physical pornography, like, right? It wasn't internet based stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That was a separate case though. Yeah. Um, then, but yeah um, all right. Let, let's loop it back into Rusty and Edie real quick here. Um, how did, how do you think all of this shaped, the internet that we live in now? Um, that is a good question. <laughs> I mean, I think that we're de- like, I think that era is so interesting to kind of study and learn from because we haven't learned anything. Like <laughs> a lot of the moderation problems of pre-web internet have not gone away. I would say none of them have gone away. They've gotten worse. Um, but, you know, at least people are more well-versed on what is and isn't okay to steal. <laughs> sort of. People have gotten smarter about it, maybe. Um, back then it was like, oh, it's digital, so it can't be stealing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how it's shaped how we are online today, I would say it all was kind of that we're dealing with the, the bedrock problems that we deal with today in moderation. You know, like um, getting, getting too big for like a few mods to handle. Uh, you know, these problems of scale, um, you know, things like what is and isn't allowed for users to upload, what you're okay with people putting on your site. Um, like terms of service started back then because you um, couldn't just have people uploading whatever they wanted onto a site. You would end up with, you know, child sexual abuse material on your site, uh, which nobody wanted. So you would have to have these terms laid out so that you could then say, I'm going to ban you because you broke these rules that you read before you showed up to my VBS, which a lot of VBS has had really strict rules. Um, so a lot of that was really laid out um, really early, but they haven't solved a lot of the problems. They've just gotten bigger, more complicated, um, which is a bleak <laughs> outlook. But um, I think it's interesting to kind of to read about that time and say, like, nothing really changes like nothing new under the sun um as long as humans are still humans and using the internet it's all the same and what became of rusty and Edie? i don't totally know honestly they were sued by playboy um 
the same year that they were raided. So there was a big Playboy lawsuit against them, um, and they settled. Uh, they reached a settlement. Um, they tried to restart things after the raid and after the Playboy thing. Um, they started like a got on the web, which was just starting. They got a website. Um, but which you can go to. I think it's linked in the story. You can go to the Wayback uh, Wayback Machine, the archive version of that website. Um, it's just a little login box, <laughs> like it would have been back then, but um, didn't go anywhere. Like They just kind of fizzled out by then. Um, as far as what they're up to now, I don't know. Just another unsolved mystery of the early internet. And yeah, we've got their little site pulled up. Uh, Rusty and E's web yeah. BBS with the cute little owls and kind of nothing going on. There's there. a sign in uh, at their old address, which is now like a little strip mall. But there's a sign that says home of R&E's, R&E Center, home of Rusty and E's. Yes. Yeah. So cute. Adorable. And it's got the little, little owls on it. The one's from Ohio. And can drive by there. We know. <laughs> I want to know if it's still there. All right, Sam, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. I'm going to hit the outro music. Where can people find your work and what else are you working on right now? On Motherboard. I am working on a book which is coming out in the fall. Excellent. A lot of it is about this stuff. <laughs> Perfect. Wait, you can find me on Twitter. Yes. Really cool. Uh, and we are, and I am at MJ Galt on Twitter and Cyber. We'll be back next week again, roughly 4 p.m. Eastern here on Twitch. If you missed uh, the beginning of this broadcast, you can catch it as a podcast tomorrow, probably around 11 ish. And we will be back uh, next week with more exciting stories about cyber and cybersecurity. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, talking about cyber war, I think, in the near future. And there may be a lot more cyber also in the near future but stay tuned for that and uh see y'all next week bye-bye welcome to sincerely sloan presented by uninterrupted i'm your host professional tennis player wife parent and entrepreneur sloan stevens As an athlete and as a person, my journey has had a lot of twists and turns, from moments of adversity and doubt to unimaginable triumph and satisfaction. Throughout the season, I'm joined by some of the biggest names in sports, entertainment, culture, and a few members of my tribe. Our conversations keep it real and push it past skin deep. We reveal the perspectives, routines, and products that allow each of us to show up at our best. Join me on my journey of self-discovery and many, many laughs along the way. Sincerely, Sloan.